0: So today we're going to be talking about church membership. And, and I'll tell you, I have been really looking forward to this conversation for some time. Uh, not just the topic, but the many different directions we can go with the topic. And many different directions we can go that I think all would be genuinely helpful to those in the room today, especially students. Um, also, I've been looking forward to it because of the composition of this panel. Each one of you were, were, were selected and, uh, by me with particular awarenesses of what you could bring to the conversation. All of you guys, uh, including myself, serving as elders, or teaching pastors, some role in a local church, deeply invested in the local body of Christ. And um, so that's a part of even your representation on the panel as well. So I, I was having a conversation um, several years ago now. I bumped into someone in Kansas City and uh, I didn't know them and just in a public event space and was talking. And, and one of my kind of gateway conversation points I'll, I'll use to to say there's a gospel opening, well, I'll say something like, "Oh, do you have do you have a church membership or, or are you a member of a church?" And, and you know, you, you often get you know a lot of different answers to that. And uh, sometimes you'll get a blank stare. Sometimes you'll get, a, "Oh, absolutely, I'm a member of X." And then I, I will usually follow up and say, "Oh, who's the pastor there?" And it's amazing how often people can very quickly name where they're a member of, but like have no awareness of who the pastor is. So there's a whole other conversation right there. Well, anyway, I uh, was asking this uh, this couple. I said, are you a member of a local church here in Kansas City? And uh, they they said no, but they very quickly reassured me that they're committed believers and and I should not be concerned about their lack of church membership. And uh, their answer went, and I'm paraphrasing, it, but it went almost exactly like this. They said, you know, it depends upon what we're doing that weekend. They said, if we want to go to a Saturday night service, we go to church X. If we want an early Sunday morning service, we go to church Y. If we want just like a traditional 11 o'clock service, you know, we go to church Z. And of course, for me, like I'm trying to keep a warm face, but like alarm bells are going off my head over this, what they're saying. You know, I'm saying, oh, ah, okay, well, you know, that, that, that's interesting. And, but that's representative, I think, of a cultural moment included within what we can describe as evangelicalism loosely that really is the, the autonomy uh, and the consumer as the individual. That's one dynamic. The second dynamic is, I think we are at this cultural tipping point, and really have been. Um, obviously on the coast, they have been there for decades. The Bible Belt, the South, the Midwest are kind of in the middle of it to where, as a boy, perhaps for all of us, uh, the, the social reward and even expectation for some church membership was like a benefit. Yeah. Can't name the pastor, perhaps, but, but yeah, oh yeah, longtime members of First Baptist X. Now in many places, and increasingly so in the country, there's actually a, a, so, a social cost to be a member of a church, especially if that church is something beyond just a bland, generic, you know, kind of mainline type, 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 type of church. So, so here we are, and again, saying a word about the cultural moment. Are you guys making the same observations that I'm making? Are you all are y'all hearing the same comments I'm hearing? give us a sense as to how y'all see our cultural moment on the local church front, and especially church membership.
1: Or I can just keep on talking. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, you know, one of the additional challenges to the, what you've uh, described there is just the, the challenge that technology has brought. You know, post-COVID, uh, as, as we've k- tried to care for our members, that we've encountered some who just haven't come back, you know, and are satisfied with kind of the, the online offering, whether at our church or others. So that's been sort of a conversation for, you know, how do we give them a more robust understanding even of what it means to be a member of the church?
0: Oh, absolutely. No, we, we all have walked into that bus, saw. I mean, I have family members who, you know, asking about and I'll leave them nameless, but, uh, not talking about my wife and kids here, uh, more remote family members of, of where you go to church. And well, you know, 10:30 Adrian Rogers loving Charles Stanley can't beat it. You know, like, case closed, you know. And I'm like, ah, what are you doing? What is going on here? You don't know, no, you need to be going. But, but go ahead, Sam. Yeah. I, I,
2: when I reflect back on, uh, there tends to be, and, and what we're, we're talking about currently is someone who just isn't willing to commit to something. I remember as a 20-year-old, I, I got pulled in by God's grace into student ministry stuff. That was God's kind of portal into more seriousness. I became a pretty serious Bible reader. I was a youth pastor, and I remember hearing uh, Mark Dever uh, just kind of randomly came on his stuff, and he starts talking about church membership. And I was like, yeah, buddy, i never seen it in my Bible. I, just, I don't see it. I don't recognize that. And so you have another side that it can be difficult of someone who is serious about the Bible. They're trying to be faithful to it, but they just don't see it, right? And I don't know that we um, historically, past 100 years, whatever, in America have done a good job of, of explaining the, the theological um, expectation behind it and the exegesis behind it um, that, that also rolls up into uh, this lack of commitment. Um, I, I distinctly remember thinking membership is something that, bad preachers have come up with to try to like keep their people there like they're right, like right. Th- that bad right and 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 that was what was going through my head and then you know uh, he went to first corinthians five and a couple other places and i was like oh my goodness like i've never seen this before so anyway i know we can go other places yeah, you're getting ahead of me there yeah, i don't want to sorry. drill down there go ahead dr Schreiner. yeah
3: i spent six years in portland and i would teach about this in classes and one of the things that you're bringing up is uh, a lot of the, the students in there who were going out to plant churches didn't want to do membership because they felt like it was authoritarian. Yep. Uh, and they were scared. They were scared of what people would think. But one thing I always tried to remind them was everyone wants community. Everyone wants relationships. And actually, we were built to have relationships and to have community. But you cannot have community without commitment. And so there's various relationships you can think through in terms of spouses, in terms of even the community here. You're making a commitment in one sense to one another to be in a part of this place. In a church, I think it's heightened, though, that you're committing to a church to have community with these other people. And so there's a lot of challenges um, but I think it's so important to emphasize this because really it's the way that we are made, that we we're made to have community. And what that means is you need to commit to one another
4: and make promises to one another. Right. Talking about that cultural shift that's taken place, I think back when I was raised in the Texas Panhandle, whoever was pastor of First Baptist Church of our city was a social influencer of the whole community. Uh, I remember when I went out to California in Southern California and I became the pastor of First Baptist Church in Granada Hills, North Los Angeles. Uh, my dad says, so you've really arrived. You've really become the social influence. I said, Dad, no. In Southern California, there's no cultural benefit to be in a church like that. In fact, I think I have a target. On right, right, now. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's not, there's no benefit there. And the same thing with membership is to connect to a church in, when I was growing up, that was just what you did. That's that was a part of your social commitment to the community uh, that that is going away here. I mean, we are we're battling with that here in this part of what I you know, often refer to as this is red state America. And uh, that has a rich heritage of the church being here. Uh, but we'll have a class full of people this Saturday for membership and membership interviews that will come from that. Uh, and we will have to argue for membership of why this is necessary to people who have been around here for a long time. So there's been a massive shift over the last 30, 35 years, I think.
0: Absolutely. And, and we'll continue to, to narrow and focus because I do want to make this as relevant as possible, especially to students who are new to campus this semester. And of course we have uh, church membership and, and not just membership, but, but church act, active church membership expectations for our community here, employees and students, but want to um, want to just remind our folks of the beauty of it and the biblical nature of it. So, so, you know, go back to, to 2002, um, 20, whatever, five years old, 24 years old. And, uh, and uh, my wife and I are brand new, serving the first church. I'm the pastor. She's about to pop with baby number one. And, uh, and, and, we're, and we're there, and, and we have a little, a little reception in the parsonage. The parsonage is like 10 paces from the church, and it's all sweet and happy. And there are like a dozen folks who've been visiting the church all before, I even, before we even showed up. We're getting to know them. And, I, and I'm kind of beginning to also, in this conversation, talk about church membership. And there was a guy there, and a very well-intended and a good brother, um, uh, in the gathering there, and he just put me on the spot immediately. He said, but, but you know, talk about church membership, you've got to make the case biblically that that's even a thing, kind of like Sam's comment. And I would find out later that uh, he had come under the influence of a, of a Bible teacher uh, kind of mid to late 20th century by the name of Colonel Bob Theme. And uh, Bob Theme was a graduate of Dallas, kind of I think like in the 60s or 50s, and he kind of created like his own little, really like loose denomination, had some peculiar beliefs. Well, any, anyway, one of his peculiar beliefs was like church membership emphatically is not a thing. So I'm there, I'm 25, you know, I, I'm nibbling on a, on a tuna sandwich you know, in, this circ, in, this open, in this circle talking, and I find myself, I make this case for church membership. Now, I reflexively, I think, made it suitably enough, but the main thing I want to drive on here, not just by word, but even through our reflection and citations, is that church membership actually clearly is a biblical reality. Not in the way that we process in the 21st century, but in a very clear sense as to who's in and who's out. Under what terms someone is in or out. Under what terms church discipline should be exercised to put someone out and all the rest. So let me just start with Dr. Chang down there and maybe work our way around the panel here. And again, give us a sense where we see in Scripture, um, both directly and really indirectly as well, where we see church membership.
1: I mean, I guess one, one place to begin would just be thinking through your theology of God's people throughout the scriptures. You know? And there's always the clear thing that God's people are distinct from the world, uh, from Old Testament to New. You know, so whether it's uh, Adam and Eve being distinguished from the animals, or, or whether it's Israel being distinguished from the nations, uh, you know, God always had a way of setting apart his people. And when we move to the New Testament, we see because of the new covenant work that Christ has done, uh, with the Spirit coming upon us people, uh, we see the church now also being uh, made distinct. There's a, a clear in and there's a clear out when it comes to the, the New Testament, the New Covenant people of God, even as we walk through the New Testament narrative. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's kind of a big overarching idea, the distinctness of God's people.
0: Dean Beard. Uh, I,
2: <clears throat> I was trying to think uh, leading up to this, of some sort of analogy of how Especially the New Testament works, and, and I'd use words like implicit and explicit, right? And it's not solely implicit, but it is more so that. Um, but uh, here, here's my analogy for you guys, okay? It would be as though someone tried to make the argument that Amazon uh, is not in the category of, of like running trucks because it never shows up in their commercials. And it's like, well, that's not like the main point of their business, but Of course, they are inherently going to be dealing in trucks, right? And that's going to be all over the things that they're doing, that sort of thing, because they're in delivery. That's what they're going to do. And when you read the scriptures, that's often how it shows up. And I'll give you one example here. I I have often on studied Colossians, just a fair bit, just uh, preaching and those sorts of things. And and years into doing that, I recognize in the fourth chapter, um, verse five, it says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Well, let's just think about it for a second. If there's outsiders, there must be insiders, right? So this is another manifestation of of where you're going to see things like that over and over and over again in the New Testament, that there's an assumption here that they know who is in and they know who is out. So that would be one example.
0: Dr. Schreiner.
3: Yeah, I think one thing we need to remember here, I think that question can be hard for us because there isn't like a proof text. There's not like a text that says you need to be a member of a local church. And so when we ask is this in the Bible? We need to remember what the Bible is. The Bible is a story and it's not here to answer all the questions that we necessarily pose to it. But I think as these gentlemen are saying, what you see in the scriptures is that this is very evident kind of in shadows. You can see it throughout the scriptures, but it might not be in one verse. So the word member actually is just melos in Greek. And it's actually referring to how we are members of the body of Christ. And so 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So this is biblical language. And what a member is, is it's it's a limb of the body, a part of the body. And so when we talk about membership, really what we're saying is something metaphorical. But I would argue it's something more than metaphorical because this reality that we are a part of Christ is more real than I am right now. Uh, and, And the scriptures give you a metaphorical world of Christ as the head is in the heavens and his body is here on the earth and we are a part of that body. We are members of his body. And if you begin to think in those categories and recognize these are not just metaphors, but this is true reality, then the text that you read beforehand, how heaven and earth can be united through what we say and what we do, And what we confess and what we bind and loose, that's tying heaven and earth together because heaven and earth is already tied together through Christ. And so Christ's head is in heaven. Christ says the head is in heaven and his body is here on the earth. And if you want, I mean, let's press the metaphor. If you want to be a part of Christ's body, you need to be a member of his body, and that's the local church. And so that's, that language is all over Paul. That's all over the scriptures. And so, yeah, we're not going to go to maybe one text that says you need to join a church, but he's saying you're a part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is the local church.
4: Brett? When I think about uh, what a church is, it's a gathering of Christians, Therefore, it's really the fundamental way you express Christianity is through the life of a local church. It's hard to find an example in the New Testament of someone who's living out the gospel, who's not doing that through the church. It's hard to obey any of the plural commands of the New Testament if you're not connected to a local church. Peter says to shepherds, to shepherd the flock of God among you. Uh, The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 17 says that we're to obey our leaders. Those are known people who are shepherding our souls. They even have account for our souls as if God knows who we're supposed to be shepherding. So we talk about being in or out. We're not really just talking about in or out of an organization. We're talking about being in or out of the gospel. Are you in the gospel? You're in a church that if the body of Christ universal is only expressed through the body of Christ local, that's the tangible expression of the, local, uh, of the body of Christ is the local church. To say, I don't want to be a part of that is almost to say, I don't want to be a part of the gospel. I would, I would put it that distinctly.
0: No, and so would I. And before you chime back in here, Dr. Schreiner, I think another, another misperception that, that is just out there everywhere, hopefully it's not too extensive in this room, that the New Testament is all about the church universal, the church spiritual. And then there's like footnotes about the church local. No, the New Testament is all about the church local. I mean, you you, you detect the church universal, but it's virtually all about the church local. I yeah I
3: was just thinking of other verses that you could go to you know in Acts it talks about the Lord added to their number daily so there 's some sort of number that 's being added to there First uh, Timothy five it talks about a list of widows there 's some sort of list now that might be for care, but they certainly have like who 's in and who 's outside of the church in first Corinthians five it talks about we aren 't to judge those outside the church we 're supposed to judge those inside the church. So as Jeff was saying, there's a clear distinction between those who are inside and outside the church. And then I mentioned kind of the body members metaphor, but we also have the flock of God. First Peter 5 talks about pastors are to shepherd the flock of God. That's a group of people and then it describes us as the household of God, the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, you have to be a part of a flock or a part uh, of a family household. So all these metaphors, again, you, you can't go to maybe one verse, but if you begin to kind of survey the scriptures it's just very clear that there's an inside and there's an outside. And to be an in,
0: in, on the inside is to be really a part of Christ and Christ's people. Right, and we could do this all morning, I trust, but, but references like where, where, where Paul tells us, do good to all men, especially yes. yep, the exactly. household yep. faith. Um, where in 2 uh, in, in Timothy 4, uh, the church is responsible um, for, for calling their ministers. And if they call someone who tickles their ears, it's on that church, that body who's tolerating that. I mean, the church at Corinth, put that wicked man out. You know, this in-out language is everywhere.
1: Uh, and one way this, that this sort of practically gets expressed, as we see in the New Testament, is through baptism in the Lord's Supper. You know, at the end of the day, that's what church membership is. It's, it's those whom the church has affirmed somebody else's kind of public profession of faith and, and brought them into their body. And they give expression, the ongoing expression to their belonging to that body as they celebrate the Lord's Supper together, right? And so these two, I mean, really, that's what church membership is. Who has the church baptized and who's regularly allowed to partake of the Lord's Supper? Right? These are the members of that church. Right, and well, well, sorry, I have right.
3: a lot to say. Um, some people describe membership as like a declaration of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. That's how it ties so closely to baptism, because in baptism, you are declaring that you are part of
0: Christ and you're baptized into the church, into the body of Christ. And if you think about membership, again, in a social context, the past 2000 years, if you look at America, post-World War II, peak Protestant influence, right? Where membership had high degree of social capital. Everyone kind of wanted it or had it or knew they ought to have it. And, um, and, and so, and then you, you have the middle of the revivalism movement, so to speak. And so, you know, a million more, 54 Southern Baptists, and, and just this growth and numbers. And so that's where you, you reach kind of late 20th century, this, this real high water mark of high membership roles, you know, low ratio as far as those actually in attendance. So the, the cultural moment made this loosey goosey Yama yeah, member two mentality possible. If you go back to AD 65, Imperial Rome, of the city just burned. Negroes persecuting Christians because, hey, they're the ones who did it. You thought they were strange? They're also dangerous. And the Christians are being set on fire as lampposts, being fed to lions, etc., etc. And so to me, they're having to gather in the catacombs by torchlight, secretively. And every time someone doesn't show up from those meetings, they're not wondering if they are at the Chiefs game or if they have COVID or if they got called out to work that weekend. They're wondering... Are they dead? The opposite extreme. And so it, again, if 1950s and, and post-World War II was this high-water mark of cultural appreciation for church membership, we're clearly coming back. And so some of the, even the inflated membership components where a church of 200 has, in attendance has 2,000 members, some of that, much of that is even self-correcting before we even get to the biblical theological arguments as to why that's not so healthy in the first place. So we've talked some about church membership biblically. Um, I want to think about it historically. And I don't just mean the social commentary I just gave, but like what have Baptists understood about church membership? And we can talk about church membership beyond Baptists, but we're a Baptist institution and church membership has been treated very seriously in, in Baptist life. Uh, give us a sense as to how that's shown up and uh, what that's looked like over the past several centuries. And, and Jeff, uh, happy to start with you.
1: Yeah, uh, Regenerate Church Membership. That's been a distinctive of Baptists from the very beginning. Uh, we believe that the church should only be comprised of those who give credible profession of faith and who are continuing in that profession. Uh, in, in my area of study, Charles Spurgeon, uh, I, I get to see that show up in a, in a really exciting way. I mean, talk about high watermark, 19th century Victorian England. Uh, that was kind of the, the, the dominance of Protestant evangelicalism, right, during that age. And And there were revivals going on. It's striking to see Spurgeon in the midst of that, even under sort of powerful preaching, uh, how careful he was to maintain a a, a robust kind of membership process uh, to sort of not just carelessly affirm people's profession of faith, but to actually examine uh, those professions, to bring in people around them, to speak into that, uh, and to also practice church discipline kind of on the back end. Uh, So even though throughout his kind of lifetime, Spurgeon took in something like 14,000 people into church membership, Uh, every single one of them went through this like robust six-step membership process with multiple pastoral interviews and a congregational vote uh, at the end. So uh, I'm just encouraged by that sort of example in our Baptist kind of heritage.
2: Someone else? Yeah, I'll speak uh, a little bit more to even my experience in recent history and, um, I, I was not raised in, in a Baptist context. I, I'm, I like to say I'm, I'm the happiest adopted Baptist you could find. Like the, these people have, have, well, you better um, be. <laughs> they, what's that? You better be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these people have educated me in many ways. I mean, especially Southern Baptist convention have, have invested in me so heavily financially. It's like I'm very thankful for that. That is not what I, what I was raised in. And so I kind of bumbled into a Baptist church in outside Tyler, Texas, uh, as an 18 year old, not really even knowing anything about it. I just, I went cause that was a, a student ministry. And my experience of that was I'm, I'm entering into this long tale of, of, um, history about where, where our Southern Baptists, uh, with membership. And so I'm just experiencing it. I don't have any category for, for how to think about it or anything like that. And my experience was, this is not a significant thing. This is just something that, you know, I I think you end up on a roll, which means you're on a piece of paper somewhere. And that's basically what membership is. I didn't, I didn't hear any uh, robust exegetical reasoning for it or, and there was certainly no one, who is going to call me to account for that necessarily, which enters into when I am reading my Bible, I'm getting more and more serious about I want to follow Jesus. I want everybody else to follow Jesus, but we seem kind of broken. Like, I, I don't know how to, like, what's the apparatus when someone just goes, uh, you know loses their way we don 't have any way to manage it, um, and so I just say that as as an experiential note of of what did it feel like in the early two thousands late late90s that sort of thing of, of just experiencing membership kind of broken uh, in some ways of, of what it is it 's just sort, sort of the thing that 's hanging around but it, but no one has an example as to why scripturally we 're doing this so I know others can fill in. Yeah,
0: yeah, before uh, these other gentlemen hop in if they would like. Um, Again, you you read, let's say, minutes. Church minutes. um, From, let's just say, pick pick a century. From the mid-18th century to the mid-19th century. And I've dabbled in a lot of that over the years out of personal interest. And again, that that century, like from the mid eighteenth century to the mid nineteenth century, is like peak minute-taking abilities. You know, <laughs> everything is written down. Every, everything is documented. You know, peak penmanship too, by the way, very often. And uh, and the thoroughness with which membership was taken really is striking. And Baptists understood very clearly what was going on, and they would use phrases like like you're not just baptized; you're baptized into the church. There's a significance to that state, statement. You're baptized into this church. And you're not just randomly baptized somewhere, you're you're baptized by the church in the context of the church gathered, right? Um, That baptism into the church is a prerequisite for the second ordinance of the church, the Lord's Supper. And um, a a close, not closed with a D, but but an understanding of of at least close communion that that you have to be a baptized member in good standing of of a church to participate in the Lord's Supper with that church or with, or with perhaps a sister church. Um, you know, to, to be a member and be understood to be a, a, converted, baptized, you know, a converted, regenerate member baptized in the church, your brother Sam, your sister Mallory. You know, if you're not, you, you might be a neighbor, you might be a friend, but no higher title than, than brother, sister. Those are Baptist distinctives uh, that also, I believe, are, are, are biblical in nature. And I believe they are sweet pictures and expressions of what church membership is and what it has meant historically. And
4: even when Baptists are, are in their beginning stages, they're developing covenants statements that describe, here's what we believe the biblical picture of our interaction and our commitment to each other are, and we'll hold each other to those covenant commitments. I think that finds its genesis with the kind of the Baptist movement. Um, It's hard today to find Baptist churches that have members meetings, let alone minutes from members meetings. And when you go back and read some of those minutes from the mid-1800s, um, it's not just how they came in, but how meticulous they were and how specific they were on church trials for members remaining a member or being removed as a member. Those are fascinating reading because you see how, how much they prized membership as the body of Christ, how we're displaying Christianity.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, as a free church movement as we are, it really is its strength, really is just tied to the strength of all these different individual congregations, you know. I didn't
3: realize this was going to be a make minutes great again panel, but um,
0: um, yeah, I can, that's right.
3: <laughs> I could add, uh, you know, experientially, I was baptized in a Baptist church, uh, grew up in a Baptist church, but it didn't hit home for me until I went away to college, which many of you now are in college. And I left home and, you know, it was, it was standard then. It might be standard now. I'd love to hear actually from students if this is the case, but often you'd keep your membership with your home church. Yeah. And it was when I went to college that I started reading some actually Baptist history. I was was a nerd back then, as I am now. Um, I read some Baptist history, and then... I started to get become aware of Nine Mark's ministry, and they were kind of lifting off the ground. And um, I realized, like, I need to become a member of a church here where I'm at. It's In one sense, it's okay to still be a member of this church back home, but I'm not actually a part of that church back home anymore because I was living two hours away. I was staying there. I wasn't coming back every weekend or anything like that. And so for me, that was a big moment because I think if you grow up in this culture— of membership, you don't realize how important it is in one sense. You just kind of overlook it. And it's when I got out of the house that I thought, okay, now
0: I'm on my own and I need to become a member of a local church here. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, Baptist, you know, pre-Nine Marks movement intuitively had a sense, you know, the 20th century, for instance, of like What do we do with a college student? You know, what do we do with the military deployment you're here for eight months? And so the whole, the whole notion of watch care membership and all, and all that popped up. We're acknowledging the primary and then the secondary community. Um, you know, we kind of talked around this some, but, but let's go ahead and talk about it more, more specifically. Um, the word meaningful in front of church membership. And um, like what is meaningful church membership? And I realize we, we may all define that a little bit differently. But, but let's say we, we begin with saying it, it, it communicates the idea that there are some covenantal expectations of the church to the member and the member to the church, right? What might that be? Let's describe a little bit here. Fred, you're, again, you're, um, of those of us on the panel, you're, you're the one who's, who's full time pastoring. Give us a sense as to, at Summit Woods, as you think ideally, again, not perfectly, but, but ideally, what you're hoping to see we, out of your members.
4: We try to, well, we'll, we'll do it Saturday. We, we start with a description of what is the church, what are the priorities of the church. Uh, we, we describe what is a Christian, what's the view of sanctification. If you're a Christian, you're connected to the church. So this is membership is a gospel-driven, defined commitment you're making to other people in this gathering. And you must own their discipleship. You have to come around them and own their discipleship, not because they're your peers. They have a like, you know, uh, socioeconomic background to you. But because they're in this gathering, the Lord has providentially brought you here. You need to own one another's uh, discipleship. We're called to make disciples. This is this is just fundamentally how we live out the Christian life. Um, so that's a conversation that we're having um, kind of back on some of the historical, I remember in my Baptist background being taught, baptism was not connected to church membership. I I had to come to that conclusion by reading some of, by reading Mark Dever's polity book and all of those uh, documents he collected uh, to realize I was completely wrong in that. And that was Baptist denominational leaders who were distinguishing uh, membership and baptism are not tied together. The Lord's Supper is not an expression of that. It's just individual Christianity. Um, and so we're trying to overcome that with a lot of people who are coming into the membership. Is It's not just an expression of your individual Christianity. You are tied to these other people spiritually. So you have to own what that looks like. You're going to have to live with them, pray with them, overcome sin with them, and... Um, it's going to be challenging, but there's nothing that's going to be more rewarding to your own sanctification. Even in counseling, we, we rarely do ongoing biblical counseling with someone who will not come and be a part of our church because we believe so much that the body of Christ, the local church, is not just valuable, but essential to their sanctification. And so they, they need to come in and be a part of that uh, not just to deal with their one issue, they're coming for counseling, but the whole of their sanctification, the um, all of their general growth in Christ, needs to take place within that environment.
0: Yeah, I was going to move to the kind of the final category, you know, pastorally speaking, and so I'm eager to get to that here in a moment. But but before we um, before we we move to that, uh, other words about you know this meaningful church membership, what it looks like.
3: Yeah, at Emmaus, we use covenant membership to get that idea across. And it's really, we are affirming a mutual commitment to one another. So the church is committing to the individual. And the individual is committing to the church, and the leaders are committing to those individuals, and the individuals are, are committing to the leaders as well. And so maybe just a little anecdote here. Um, you know, we, we live in a neighborhood where people hang out a lot, and it's great. They have this little community. They have movies in the park, and there's pools there, and we get to hang out with people, and it's great. And many uh, of our kids have great friends in the neighborhood. Um, but one day, my second daughter, Kesed, came to me, and she said, why— why don't we hang out with people in the community more? Uh, she was recognizing that we are kind of in that circle, but also on the edge of that circle a little bit. And I just explained to her that like, we've made a commitment to Emmaus And we often prioritize those relationships. Not that we don't hang out with people in our community, but that we are extra busy because we have made a commitment to these people. And we've actually signed a document and said we will pray for these people. We will be with these people. We will bear their burdens and and so forth and so on. And so that was my way of trying to get across what meaningful membership is, that there is a unique relationship that I have with those of Emmaus that I have covenanted with, and I've covenanted with them, and they've covenanted with me. And so that, that should form how we interact with them.
2: Yeah, I would just say it, it, it's been proven to me over and over and over again, walking with the Lord, me and Mallory walking with the Lord as a married couple, having children, the wisdom of God and giving me to a people to love those people and how wise it is that I need a people to love me and care for me. Sometimes that's a hard word. Sometimes that's a kind word. Sometimes that's a handshake. Sometimes that's like delivering a meal after a child. It's all kinds of things. But so that that's some bearings in there. Let me give you two examples for us. We we take the Lord's Supper, or, or rather, we uh, uh, congregationally um, members all recite our covenant together when we take the Lord's Supper, and that is. You know, everyone's personality is a little bit different, but there's a gulp, you know, moment for me when I'm taking that of going, am I living up to what I have agreed to do? I'm reconstituting this and I'm thinking, am I keeping these phrases in my heart, my mind, and I'm doing it in in my duty uh, as a Christian? And then a second example I'd give you as a family, we do family devotions and um, those are like, you know, six minutes and 13 seconds. If we're, they're like going well. We've got little little kids. Um, they may stretch to 11 minutes. That's like we're uh, yeah, that's, what, that's revival. That's, in the that's right. That's yeah. like, ah. You know, we're having an altar call. <laughs> it's really amazing. So so what we do is I go, hey, we're going to take two people um, and we have pictures and I've intentionally uh, gotten that printed all that sort of stuff so i take the responsibility of saying hey i'm going to have this at dinner and we're going to pray for two families every once in a while i'll go hey y'all just pick who do you want to pray for but i don't want to do that constantly i want them to know we're praying for everyone we're these are our people by virtue of our covenant um and that's how we're going to exist that's meaningful membership right so that's just that's very helpful jeff
1: I, mean, I want to be a member of a church where if ever my life, for whatever reason, goes off the rails, if I decide to stop, stop following Christ, uh, if I give in to pursuing temptation and sin, that there are going to be others who will come after me, you know, who won't let me just sort of drift off into the world, but will actually come and preach the gospel to me and call me back to Christ. Uh, being a member of a church is having that sort of protection so that you can persevere to the very end. So we've talked about
0: church membership kind of socially, culturally, you know, over the years and then our, our moment now with the, the cost-benefit analysis of membership and so forth. We've talked about it biblically. Uh, we've talked about it historically some. And I guess fourthly for our remaining minutes, I want to talk a little bit about just church membership pastorally. And I want to get at it from, from two angles. One is kind of the pastor angle or pastor's angle and the other kind of become the member's angle. And understand this room. I have many people who are pastors, who, who are trying to be pastors. also have many people in the room who are who are church members or who are in the process of becoming a church member. Moved to Kansas City last month. So let's get from this both directions. And I want to pick up on something you said. And, um, and I had it kind of filed away to, to, to speak to in this moment. And that is this. There is an uncanny inverse correlation between the faithfulness of a church member and the frequency of their need for counseling in my pastoral ministry experience, and I do not do not hear do not overhear what I'm saying. I'm not oversimplifying complexities. I'm not saying the most faithful church members don't have dark nights of the soul. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is a man who became a believer in college, who's been serving in local church settings, either as pastor, staff member, or deeply involved as, as a layperson for over a quarter century. Um, just usually, the vast majority of people who have come needing not just the, like, hey, pastor, what do you think? Or, hey, pastor, can, can you give me some input? What does the Bible say about this? But who are actually wanting and needing like a week-to-week ongoing counseling type relationship or ministry from the church, um, it, it just very often are those who, who aren't as deeply involved in local church. And some of that is because if we could do a taxonomy on that, everything from them not being in the community, being refined by the community under the regular ministry of the Word of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So much so that over the years when I was pastoring full-time, I, I would just have a prerequisite. Um, and I wouldn't think of myself as a counselor per se, but I would meet with folks usually for several times, and then if there was something more persistent, we would seek to help them in those ways. But, but would be, okay, I'll meet with you, you know, on Sunday night at 7 o'clock after the 6 p.m. service, but prerequisite is you need to be here for the 6 p.m. service. You know. Right. And, and, not, and not to be coy about it, but sometimes people just tap out. Like, it, like what they wanted from the church was not evidently significant enough just to commit to being there for an hour for the service. You know? That wasn't my motive, but that was interesting to see. Yeah. And then oftentimes the most helpful thing for them you know, at 8 o'clock wasn't what happened from 7 to 8. Right. It was what happened from 6 to 7. Right.
4: Yeah. I, th- I think we saw that in a very unique way in our congregation when i came about 13 years ago we had a a, a very different approach to biblical counseling than we do now 90 percent of the people who were coming to receive biblical counseling from a staff counselor were not a part of our church they might come to a small group of just those people who are receiving counseling but by definition they were told don't join the church don't become a part when members would come for counsel, that counsel would stay only with a particular counselor. The elders of the church could not know any details, even when those details began to creep into areas that would, would go into areas of church discipline. So we, we needed to make a shift in that to say, um, it's, you, you really can't grow in your sanctification if you're not a part of the body. Um, you, you really cannot grow that way. And that's not an approach to counseling that we want to continue. So we needed to make that shift, and we did. And what we began to see is people who were coming in, we would say just that, we need you here on Sunday morning. You need to be under the preaching. You need to begin to develop relationships. We want to get you into a, a regular group um, of, of believers here. We found more people coming to faith in Christ, more people seeing overcoming sin, Uh, flourishing in their Christian faith uh, because of a healthy approach to membership. It began to change the whole tenor of how we approached practical problems. That's
2: very helpful. Thank you. Someone else. I, I would just want to say, pastorally speaking, membership is a faith act. You you have to recognize that um, the Lord has, uh, if it's true what we're saying, and we just scratch the surface textually for where you could prove this from. If it's true that the Lord has set this out for us as Christians, then you are trusting him and saying, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to this church. Sometimes I'm going to be hurt a little bit. Sometimes I'm going to really fly high because of what they're doing and, and not me. And both of those things are possible and, and you're going to live in those. But it is an act of faith. You're going to have to just settle in and go, hey, this may not be, I may not, the, the, the lead singer on Sunday, his voice is a little bit too high and I don't really care for that or whatever. But like you need to go ahead and settle in and say, this is the people and I'm going to commit to them. Um, and that's what I'm going to do uh, and, until the Lord leads us otherwise. Right. And so you're committing to that and you set in for it. And, and I'll just speak. up We've been here. I'm, I'm coming in on 10 years. So I've seen you guys and then I've seen the folks who used to be in your seat. And it's been my experience every time, it's a little chicken or the egg, it's not clear to me. But what Dr. Allen is saying is the ones who kind of bounce around a little bit and don't lock in, or they do, but they're not quite locked in, like they may have the membership, but they're, they're just kind of out and, and piddling around or whatever, they're typically not doing as well as those who go ahead and lock in. Um, and so I would just encourage you, spend less time uh, piddling around, spend more time and go, this is, this is where I'm going to go. And it's not gonna be perfect, why? Because it wasn't perfect when you got there and you messed it up when you got there, right? And so, and just settle in and go until the Lord moves me on, I'm gonna stick here. So that'd be my pastoral advice.
0: That's good, and we'll have a follow up panel to unpack many of piddling around. Yes. So you can lead us in that, Sam. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I want us to just pull together and say, I hope you sense from the panel the, uh, the, the sweetness of membership, uh, the delight of church membership, uh, the importance of church membership. And it really is what you make of it. Um, If you don't join, you're not making any of it. If you join, but you're kind of marginally involved, you're not making much of it. But if you join uh, and you give of yourself and you get to know people and you show up for Bible study and you're you're there with bells on for worship, uh, it, it can and it will be a source of tremendous spiritual gain. And oh, by the way, for those of you in the room who are aspiring to be in a ministry position one year, two years, three years, don't put your pastor or elders in position don't do it to where you want them to be a reference for you in three years, but, but, but you've kind of sort of been in their, involved in their church the past three years. Um, th- that that is not putting them in a position to be able to give you a full-throated reference. That's putting them in a very bad position. But rather, it's delightful when I get a phone call and ask them about student X or graduate Y, and I say, oh, yeah, they're fantastic. By the way, they were members of me at Lenexa Baptist Church or Emmanuel Baptist Church, wherever. And I've seen them serve and grow, and they're going to be great. Churches want to hire actual ministers, not hypothetical ones. And we need to be able to speak to future ministry posts for you about how you have served, not why you couldn't serve or how you would have served. So God bless you. Thank you so much for the conversation, panelists. It's been delightful. And I hope that uh, us in the room and beyond the room have been encouraged today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this hour of worship. Thank you for the hymn we sang, uh, the scripture we read the ability to pray together, and the ability to reflect today on uh, this very sweet topic of church membership. And Father, I pray today that each one of us would leave the room uh, renewed with our sense of the importance of church membership, uh, looking actively to join a church if if we are not currently members. And then when we do, looking actively to serve, to grow, and to get all one can get and to give all one can give to the local church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.